Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Tonight we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper. A time where we, we set aside an evening to especially remember the sacrifice of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for our text this evening, I, I want to look at some verses of Scripture that are probably familiar to most, if not everyone in here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice that last phrase of verse number 19. Ye are not your own. I want you to say those words with me. Ready? Ye are not your own. Now let's personalize it. Instead of saying, ye are not your own, let's say, I am not my own. Ready? I am not my own. Tonight I want us to take just a few minutes before we observe the Lord's Supper and consider this thought. You are not your own. And understand that because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we belong to Him, and therefore we should glorify Him in all that we do and all that we think. Heavenly Father, we need to be reminded tonight of how awful our sin was and how wonderful our Savior is. So show us this from your word and glorify yourself in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, these verses of Scripture are ones that you probably have heard many times. Many of you have probably memorized them in the past, uh, perhaps uh, as a part of a Sunday school campaign or a kids program or uh, something like that. There are these uh, verses like this that are just the jewels of Scripture, you know, and they, they never really go out of style. But because of that, sometimes uh, the expression familiarity breeds contempt kind of can creep in and we can think, oh yeah, I know that verse, I've heard that verse, and yeah, I understand, okay. And we just kind of move on without ever, without really stopping to think about it again and to, and to really... Um, just ask ourselves, what, is this, what do these verses mean and, and what is the implication for how I live? You understand that everything that God wrote in the Bible for us, He wrote it for us, not just so that we could fill our head with facts, but so that it could fill our lives with actions, actions that line up with God's will for us and thus what is best for us. And these verses here... I mean, yes, they present some wonderful truths, but they are incredibly practical in their application because it's verses like these that are designed by God to affect every area of our life. Everything that we do should be filtered through this, this thought that we're going to see tonight. You are not your own. 
Now, for context here, it's, it is important to understand that Paul is talking to or writing to saved people. He says, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So he's talking to saved people. And we know from previous verses in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians as well. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and in the immediate context here, he's talking about purity, moral purity. And in making the argument for, as verse 18 says, flee for, fleeing fornication, he sums it up with verses 19 and 20 by reminding the believers of this particular truth that we are not our own. I want to break it down tonight as we look at these two verses in three simple points. Point number one, you are not your own. You are not your own. Now that phrase I don't think is too hard for us to understand. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to someone else. Paul here, of course, is talking about ownership. Ownership. And the truth is, I do not own me. I belong to God. Now, he's already set this context when he said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That happens when a person trusts Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit is, uh, immediately comes to dwell in them. He takes up His residence in them. And so He takes over, if you will. He moves in. And so that's the context where, uh, where He says then that, that, that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which we have of God. And that means that we do not belong to us. Now, by extension then, let's think about what that truth means. If I don't own me, own me, own myself, am I free to do whatever I want? No. Because I do not belong to myself. Because I do not belong to myself, I'm not free to just do whatever I want. I belong to someone else, that is, I belong to God. So who has the right to tell me what to do? You can answer. God does. God does, because I belong to Him. The application of the truth that we are not our own is simply that we are obligated to do what God wants us to do, because He owns us. We belong to Him. Psalm 100 verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, I don't have sheep at my house. We have a few other animals that live in our, uh, on our property. Three of them live inside. Uh, the rest of them live outside. Well, I have four. I forgot Eleanor the guinea pig. All right. <laughs> She lives inside too. But we have chickens. Um, and uh, so we don't have a flock of sheep. We have a flock of chickens. And they're my chickens. I know they're my chickens because I bought them down at Tractor Supply uh, when they were just little bitties this spring. And uh, so we have 14 chickens. Now, if you were to show up at my house randomly in the middle of the day, go over to my chicken coop, open it up, and start taking my chickens and stuffing them in a crate, I'm probably going to ask some questions. I'm going to say, what are you doing with my chickens? 
And if you said to me, oh, no, these are my chickens now, I'm going to say, yeah, no, they're not. No, <laughs> those are my chickens. What are you doing with them? And you can say, well, well, I like these chickens, or I think they're my chickens, or I've declared they're my chickens. But, you know, nothing you can say is going to change the fact that they're my chickens. And because they're my chickens, I can do with them whatever I want. Right now, what I want to do is feed them so that they give me eggs so I don't have to buy quite as much food for my children. We can eat the eggs that we have. Uh, there may come a day where they don't lay right, and I may decide to do something different with them. I don't know. But they're my chickens. I get to decide what I do with my chickens. We understand this principle. It's very simple, right? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. He gets to decide what we do. Now, this is a simple spiritual truth. And you've, you've got to understand this in biblical terms. God is in charge. It's not, a, it's not a matter of, is God in control? Is God sovereign? Is God in charge? No, God is in charge. He does own you. If you are saved by the uh, blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to God. The question really boils down to, are you surrendered to that control or not? Because you still are a free moral agent, you can choose whether or not you follow God's will or whether or not you do not follow God's will. Whether you do your own thing or whether you do what God wants you to do. You know, in Luke 6.46, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now, I think everybody in here would acknowledge the truth that God is the Lord, right? And I think... In our heads, we would acknowledge that God owns us. We belong to Him. Since that is the case, we ought to do what He says. Because to say, Lord, Lord, and call Him our Lord and Master, and not do what He says, is hypocrisy. It's a contradiction. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, "...and that He died for all." that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Turn to the book of Romans. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 6 and turn over to Romans chapter 14 for a moment. Romans chapter 14, look at verse number 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, notice this last phrase, we are the Lord's. Think about that. Paul says, whether you live or die. You know what? That encompasses your entire history. Does it not? Whether we live or die, who do we belong to? We are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. We belong to Him. You are not your own. You belong to God. Therefore, He gets to tell you what to do. Point number two from... 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 20. Paul makes a second declaration here. He says, verse 20, For ye are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. 
we, we are very familiar with the idea of what a price is, uh, especially in these days of inflation. All of the prices we see around us going up, you know. It hurts more and more to go get a tank of gas or, you know, groceries for the week. And the prices that we pay for things, we're very familiar with this picture. And Paul says here that we are bought with a price. Someone paid a price for us. So point number two, you are bought with a price. Let's think about that for a minute. Who bought us and how much did he pay? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, when we buy things, usually we use money. Okay, money is just a handy way of trading time for goods and services. So if you work a job, your employer, employer probably doesn't pay you in groceries. But he pays you in money, and you take some of that money, and you go buy groceries with it. So you trade your time for money so that you can go and get the things that you need and or want. So that's what money is. We're familiar with that, all uh, forms of currency that we use. And 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Now in Bible times, silver and gold was a very common form of currency. Uh, Jesus' day, they were using coins of gold and silver and sometimes other uh, kinds of precious metals. Uh, it's been very common throughout history and all kinds of cultures because those represent something of value. But what Peter says is that we were not redeemed with those that kinds of things. In other words, the price that was paid for us was not silver and gold. It wasn't dollars and pennies. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with, here's the price that was paid, and the name of the one who bought us, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who bought us? Jesus did. And what was the price that he paid? His own blood. His own life's blood. To redeem means to buy back, to exchange for a full value. And in biblical times, it was used to uh, talk about the purchase of slaves. And there was a particular word that was used when a person would buy a slave never to be sold again. They were permanently redeemed. And you know, that's what God has done for us. We've been permanently redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul said, Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, the thing about the price is price indicates the worth or the value of something. You know, we're kind of funny creatures. How many of you like paying more for something or less? How many of you say, I like paying less? How many of you say, no, I like paying more? Yeah, most of the time we don't say, yes, sign me up, I want to pay more. We're always looking for a bargain. You know, why is Walmart one of the most successful retailer chains ever? It's because they're cheap, right? And we like it when it's cheap. 
far as price goes. But if we're honest, we actually prefer the more expensive stuff. Would you rather have a bowl of ramen or a nice filet mignon steak? Now, I know there's probably a weird teenager in here who's like, give me the ramen. But most people, most people are like, no, I want the nice steak. See, we like things that are expensive. We just know better than to always indulge ourselves. We have a little more self-control than that, hopefully. We actually appreciate things that are expensive and valuable, right? And, and most of us are willing to invest sizable sums of money in things that are worth it. If it's worth it, we'll make the investment. Well, how much were you worth to God? Think about the most expensive thing that you've ever purchased before. Maybe it was a house, maybe it was a car, maybe it was a piece of jewelry, I don't know. But what was the most important, the most expensive thing that you ever purchased? Okay, multiply that times infinity. That's how much you're worth to God. You are worth so much more than anything because God was willing to send his own son to die for you. That's how much you're worth. No higher price can be paid by anyone than for someone to give their very life. And that's what Jesus did for you. He said, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus Christ shed his life's blood to pay the price to redeem us from our sin. You are bought with a price. And that is why you belong to God. He bought you. He paid for you. Romans chapter 5 says, For when we were yet strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is what it costs to save your soul. That is what you are worth to God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And then point number three. Therefore, we should glorify God. Therefore, we should glorify God. Back to our text, verse 20 says, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. Your body and your spirit belong to God because He bought you with a price. Therefore glorify God. You may get tired of hearing this, but it's a truth that we must never forget. We exist to bring glory to God. It's the reason that we are here on this earth. And it's what we will be doing for all of eternity. Glorifying God. What does it mean to glorify God? The best definition I've ever ever heard of it is it means to build up God's reputation. To build up God's reputation. It's to think better of God than you already do and to cause others to think better of God than they already do. 
And those who know how good God is, it's to remind them of how good and how great God is. And Paul says, because you are not your own, you are bought with a price, you should glorify God. And now notice how he phrases it here. He says, in body and in spirit. Now in context here, he's talking about moral purity and avoiding fornication. And so when he says, glorify God with your body, there is a specific application there. God expects his people to be morally pure because it reflects on God's reputation. When we are morally pure, God is glorified. When we are not, God's reputation is damaged. Remember when Nathan the prophet confronted David over his sin? One of the reasons David was specific, specific reason given for David's punishment is that he had given the heathen a cause or a reason to blaspheme God. His impurity had given the enemies of God a reason to slander God, to look down on Him. It had hurt God's reputation. And so there's an emphasis here on our actions glorifying God. The things that we do. Chapter 10 verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all, say it with me, to the glory of God. We are to glorify God because we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We're to do it in our body. Physically, the things that we do, the places that we go. This would also include the things that we say. All of these external things, all of our actions are to bring glory to God. But then he adds something here when he says in body and in spirit. What does he mean by end in spirit? Well, in this context, he's talking about the inner you. So you have the outward you, that's your body. Then you have the inner you. That's that part of you that's very real. It's you, but I can't see it. No one else can. Because it's, it's the attitudes and the thoughts that are inside of you. They're invisible, and unless you express them, no one will ever know anything about them. And what he says here is don't just glorify God outwardly. Glorify God inwardly as well. In your spirit. Attitudes are much harder to glorify God with. You know why? There's no outside force compelling us to conform to an acceptable standard. You know, you walk into a a convenience store and uh, you're standing there waiting to uh, pay for your gas or whatever it is that you're you're there and you look over and and there's there's a candy bar within arm's reach. It's your favorite candy bar. Maybe it's a Snickers. Maybe it's a Three Musketeers. I don't know. But all of a sudden, you have this impulse. It's a temptation that says... Yeah, you could probably stick that candy bar in your pocket and nobody would ever see it. You have this temptation to do that. You know, there's some things outwardly that are going to compel you not to do that. Like security cameras, right? Well, you know, somebody might see it on the camera and I might get caught. There may be other people around you 
And then there's the threat of, you know, when you get caught, you have to, you know, deal with the consequences of that, you know, going to court for shoplifting and, you know, having a record and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, and there's a lot of outside forces there that, that compel you to conform to the standard, don't steal. Right? You follow me? But what if you're standing in line and you're struggling with being ungrateful about something that happened in your life that day? Does anybody around you know that that's going on inside you? Can that security camera, you know, read your brain? Oh, thank goodness, no. Nobody knows about what's going on inside of me. There's no outside force compelling me to conform to that standard. And so because of that, a lot of times we allow our attitudes and our thoughts to run wild. We indulge bad attitudes and sinful thinking. And understand this, that that is just as much as as a sin as if you reach out, take the candy bar, put it in your pocket, and walk out without paying for it. And when you indulge wrong attitudes and sinful thoughts, you are damaging God's reputation just as much. You're doing it in your own heart. When we entertain thoughts that are wicked, no one else knows about it. We can hide bad attitudes in our mind as long as we don't express it. And sometimes we justify it that way by saying, well, I didn't say what I was thinking. Well, I'm glad of that because a fool uttereth all his mind. A wise man keepeth in it until after. But that doesn't mean that you can think whatever you want, whenever you want, how often you want. No, we are to bring our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. We should glorify God because we belong to Him because He paid the price. If God is not getting glory from you in your body and in your spirit, then God is not getting all the glory that He deserves and He's not getting all the glory that He paid for. Think about that. How many of you order things online? You order things online? How many of you are on a first-name basis with your UPS driver? I am. (laughs) Yeah. Let's say you placed an order on Amazon and you bought half a dozen different things, six items. The Amazon box shows up and there's only three in there. What are you going to say? Well, you know what? Praise the Lord. I got half that stuff. That's great. Wonderful. Go on with your life? Are you? No. What if it's four of the six? Five of the... What if it's five of the six items? Would you say, you know what? That's not a bad percentage. No. What are you going to do? You're going to get on the computer with customer service and you're going to say, hey, you charged me and I paid for all six items. I only received five. You've got to make it right. I want what I paid for. Right? And, And we have every right to demand that. That's how it works. If you pay for something, you should get all of it. You're bought with a price. 
And that means God should get all of you. And if he's not getting glory from your life in body and in spirit, he's not getting all the glory that he deserves. And he's not getting all the glory that he paid for. See, this comes down to the issue of surrender. And some have forgotten what it means to be surrendered to God. Maybe when you were younger, you went to a teen camp or a youth rally somewhere, and God really worked in your heart about this area of surrender. And maybe to this day, you can remember that that time that you went forward and you surrendered your life to God. You said, God, I am not my own. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, I'm giving you control of my life. And you made the decision to surrender to Him. Maybe it was a message from Romans chapter 12 where God said through the Apostle Paul, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you said, Lord, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. But now some years have gone by. You made that decision for a long time. That was always in your thinking. But just as time has gone on, life happens and, and you've not thought about that as much. And over time, gradually, almost imperceptibly, a life that was once surrendered to God, you've taken it back piece by piece by piece by piece. And it is no longer true that you are totally surrendered to Him. You've got this little piece of your life. You've got this little dream. You've got this little plan. You've got this little desire. You've got this little habit. You've got this little pleasure, this little entertainment. You've got all of these little things that you have taken back over time. And you're no longer fully surrendered. See, surrender is a decision that you make at a point in time, but you have to manage it every single day. Jesus said that if we're going to follow Him, if you want to be His disciple, you have to take up your cross daily and follow Him. There has to be a continual mindset, mentality of surrender. I belong to God. I don't belong to me. I can't just do with my life whatever I want to do with it. I have to do what God says. And I love the image that Paul uses in Romans 12.1 of a living sacrifice. You go back and you read the Old Testament. There were very few living sacrifices. There were some. But most of them died on the altar. That's how sacrifice worked. Okay? In fact, to my knowledge, the only exception is the scapegoat. That was the one sacrifice that got to run. All the rest of them died on the altar. But Paul says, we're a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, it means that that we're still active. We can still serve God. We can still do stuff for His honor and glory. But it also means that we're tempted to keep getting off that altar. If that animal, listen, think about it. If you were to try to sacrifice an animal and you put it on the altar and you stepped back, what's that animal going to do? It's going to sit there? Probably not. It's probably going to jump off the altar and try to take off running. What are you going to have to do? Put it back up there. You're going to have to manage that thing. Maybe tie it down. Maybe it's going to try and gnaw through the ropes and you've got to fix it every once in a while. But as long as that sacrifice is living, you're going to have to keep an eye on it. Listen, you are a living sacrifice. And as long as you are a living sacrifice, you're going to have to keep an eye on your flesh. Because your flesh is going to want to get off the altar of surrender. 
Your flesh is going to want to do its own thing. It's going to forget that you belong to God. And therefore, you should glorify Him. And because we forget what it means to be surrendered, God doesn't get the glory from us that He deserves. In just a minute, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And there's one particular area of our lives that I think we need to seriously consider tonight before we do. And it's this area of total surrender to God. Can you honestly say tonight that every part of your life is surrendered to God? Every plan, every desire, every material possession... Every relationship, is it surrendered to God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God.